You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley. Not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Action! Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress-writer Nan McNamara. Now your hosts, Steve and Nan. Last week's episode was character actresses or female actors. And this week, of course, we're going to dive into our favorite character actors. Yes, we're going to give the boys their due. We're going to give the boys their due. <laughs> and there's so many great ones to talk about. I'm so excited about oh, this one. And so many of them, I just want to take them by their cheeks and go, oh, you're so cute. And the, the first one that I oh, want to do that to. Is the perfect <laughs> example of that. Henry Travers. Yes. Oh. Uh, you know, he just, that perpetual twinkle in his eye. You know, nobody played these, the befuddled, sweet-natured characters like Henry Travers. Yep. And I think everybody knows him as Clarence the Angel from It's a Wonderful Life. And he's perfection. <laughs> he I mean, is. he really is. Yes. Uh, you know, he just has this wonderful Mr. Magoo quality about him that he's a little befuddled. He's He's sweet, but he just gets the job done because, yep. of course, he has to... You know, show Jimmy Stewart what life would be like in Bedford Falls had he not been born. Yes. Um, but I, I think another role that people may know him from, and it, it's a phenomenal performance, it's um, the Oscar, and he was Oscar nominated for this portrayal. Um, he plays Mr. Ballard, the railroad station master, 
who has a passion for roses in Mrs. Miniver from 1942. Ah, oh, boy. Um, and he has this really wonderful relationship with Greer Garson, and uh, he finally wins the annual flower show shortly before tragedy. Yes. <laughs> I'll say no more. <laughs> that film, if you haven't seen that film, boy, get get your Kleenex box out. Yes. Um, you know, he, he's actually from England. Um, he was born March 5th, 1874 um, in England, but he moved to New York in his 20s and appeared on Broadway um, in the first film, or, or the first Broadway play was The Price of Peace in 1901. Wow. So he's been at it for a while. And he originated the role on Broadway of the grandfather in You Can't Take It With You. Yes. Wow. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen him portray oh, that character? He would have been just amazing. And of course, when they did the movie version, they didn't cast Henry. They cast Lionel Barrymore instead. So, But he was great. But I still would have loved to have seen Henry Travers do that yeah, role. Yeah, the, the role is whimsical and, and Travers is, is the epitome of whimsical. Oh, perfect for it. He's been in so many great movies. I mean, there's literally hundreds. But one of my favorite performances of his is um, as Joan Leslie's sweet paw in the great film noir are High Sierra oh. with um, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart, Bogart and Ida Lupino. And, you know, he plays this kind of down-on-his-luck man and his wife and daughter who mad dog Roy Earl, the gangster played by Bogart, befriends. <laughs> and he, you know, he kind of brings the humanity to this hardened criminal. And it's just a really beautiful performance mm. and a great film. He's also in On Borrowed Time, which oh, we've talked about. yes, he is in On Borrowed Time. And um, Our Town. Yes, yes, he's also 1940. in Our Town. One of his first films, which... I think got a lot of attention and he's really great in. He is, and I don't think a lot of people know this, he's in The Invisible Man from 1933 with Gloria Stewart. He plays her father. Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, now, of course, that is a horror classic now. Yes. Um, but I think it just shows the broad range that he could play. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in horror movies. He was in dramas. He was in comedies. He really had a nice range. Yeah. He's also in Dark Victory with Betty Davis. Uh, he's in Dodge City with Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. You know, I just I just love that. Bells uh, of St. Mary's, 1945. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's that great, what, Mr. Horace P. Bogardus, <laughs> who builds the building next door yes. to the church. And then, of course, and then the, goes and gives it, the know. nuns attack and manipulate. Yes. And he's given up the building because he can't say no to the nuns. And <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a little bit out of character for him in that he sort of is the bad guy initially and then does soften. Yes, he softens because of those sweet nuns. I love him particularly in the Alfred Hitchcock film Shadow of a Doubt where he plays Teresa Wright's crime novel loving father. And there's this wonderful little thing that's threaded throughout the movie where he and his best friend who's played by Hume Cronin are always talking about murders and how they would conduct the perfect murder and little they know a murderer is living under the roof. Right, which and is, he's going to take notes of exactly. what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so he was just that wonderful, wonderful character actor. Henry Travers, born 1874 and passed away in 1965. What a great one. Our next gentleman, boy, this man has been all over everywhere. <laughs> Charles Lane, uh, born in ni- 1905, passed away in 2007. I was able to find an interview that he gave with David Letterman on 
I think Letterman's original show in 1982. Oh, wow. And it's so worth seeing because he talks about the fact that he was a supporting player. He was a character actor. And one of the things that I found fascinating about his experience was he said, I always had the scene with the star. You know, I was the accountant or I was the whatever, but he always had a scene with the star. And so he said, I lived my life in terror. (laughs) Because the pressure on a movie set. You know, I mean, he talks about meeting Lionel Barrymore and the various people that he worked with and and how, you know, it just gave him heart palpitations. (laughs) You know, I love the longevity of his career. If you think about it, you know, he's making movies with Lionel Barrymore and he's appearing on David Letterman. Yes. And that says a lot about his talent and his career. Yes. He was the king of the uptight accountant, lawyer, rent collector, civil servant. He was just that guy. He, he was, was the guy that was just the fly in the ointment yep. <laughs> every time. Yep. If you needed a scowling sourpuss, Charles Lane was your guy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and nobody did it better. No, and, and you just knew when he walked on screen what part he was going to play in the story. Oh, you knew that something was a foul. Yes, <laughs> yes. His screen debut was in a, an interesting movie called Smart Money in 1931. It's a small part, but it's Memorable. He plays this persnickety hotel clerk with Edgar G. Robinson and James Cagney. Mm. What I love about Charles Lane is he started his career as an insurance salesman. Doesn't in, that make so much real sense? Life. He, he was a real life course. insurance salesman, which I can totally get. <laughs> I can totally see. <laughs> he brings natural life experience to his roles. We've talked about getting into insurance <laughs> over our careers. <laughs> but, you know, he was bitten by the acting bug and he attended the Pasadena Playhouse. And that's where he really yeah. started to get active in theater. And I found this while I was doing research on him, and I never knew this. He was a founding member of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, wow. I did not know that, which I think is great. I, I think he was too. pretty active in terms of uh, the union and, and things like that yeah. back in the day. A lot of people, and we've talked about this movie quite a bit, but a lot of people will know him as the rent collector for Mr. Potter <sighs> in It's a Wonderful Life, yes. of course, 1946. Frank Capra loved this guy. He cast him in so many different movies. He's in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town in 1936. You Can't Take It With You, 1938. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, 1939. Arsenic and Old Lace, 1944. (laughs) State of the Union, 1948. Capra loved them. And you kind of get them all mixed up. Yeah, you do. (laughs) But but that doesn't mean, that doesn't take anything away from Charles Lane's talent. It's just that he was (laughs) the foil in all of those films. He played very similar characters in all of these Frank Capra movies. Some of my favorite movies of his and they're a little lesser known is he's in this great movie called The Great Profile from 1940 mm. and it stars John Barrymore as this pompous actor who has to deal with his temperamental leading lady played by Mary Beth Hughes mm. and Charles Lane plays the director on the set. Oh, So perfect. he has his hands full with these two who may love each other, may hate each other, they fight, they make up. You know, it's it's a great movie, very funny, and and John Barrymore is so good as is Mary Beth Hughes. She's wonderful as the kind of bitchy leading lady, uh, but he's also really really wonderful in Ball of Fire with Barbara Stanwyck. Mm. If you don't know the movie, it's about this group of linguistic professors who decide to study the language of this uh, kind of nightclub burlesque dancer, <laughs> yes. who's kind of this. 
you know, body, funny, you know, woman who has nothing to do with their academic world. And it's all about worlds colliding. And of course, Barbara Stanwyck falls in love with Gary Cooper and right. you know the rest. You know, he's also really wonderful in The Music Man, 1962. He plays Constable Locke. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to watch him, you know, trying to deal with all these antics of, of um, The Music Man, who's maybe a shyster. He uh, may bring something wonderful to the town. Who knows? You know, he's such a wonderful actor. And of course, as we've seen in the past, many of these folks make a, a wonderful transition into television. Charles Lane was all over television. Yes. And in fact, like other people that we've talked about, he was in many of the Lucy shows. They became friends, Lucille Ball and Charles Lane. And he was one of her kind of stock characters. And I love that about Lucy. She would get stock players and she would keep these people employed. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. He made his final screen appearance in the 1995 remake of the computer wore tennis shoes when he was 90 years old. I didn't even know there was a remake. Now I'm going to have to look for that. I love the original with yes, um, Kurt Russell. I loved it who too. Who was Mr. Yummy to me. So what a great career. You know, not bad for a former insurance salesman who was bitten by the acting bug at the passing the Playhouse. <laughs> that is so true. Our next actor is one, he's just He's delicious. His name is Franklin Pangborn. Yeah, and you may not know his name, but you know him in movies. You know, he was this prissy, officious, fastidious, fussy, easily flustered character. And when you hear his voice, even if you don't look at his face, you will immediately go, oh, I know that guy. Yes. To me, he was probably the very first actor to play a gay stereotype. Mm. It was unspoken, but you understood that probably most of his characters were gay. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an important marker in film history. When the portrayal of gays in film, yes. you know, I think it started with him. Thank goodness we've, we've come away, so it's not all stereotypical. Yes. Yes, yes, we've come a long way. He was just great. He played, you know, snobby head waiters and persnickety hotel clerks, but he always brought this comic flair to his characters that left no doubt in moviegoer's mind that he was probably dreaming of Buck Rogers and not Ginger Rogers. <laughs> well, he had he had a wonderful physicality to yes. all of his roles as well. And if you watch anything that he does, he, he loves props. And I don't know if that was the director or if that was the actor, you know, really thinking about what the role was, but he loves props and he makes them his own. And and it's it's just so much fun to watch him. Well, he was perfect playing the butler because he had the physicality of a butler. Yes, he did. He was that shoulders chest. back, chest out, yep. stiff as a board, very much nose in the air, mm-hmm. you know, and that was just part of his comic genius, I think. He was born January the 29th, 1889 in Newark, New Jersey, and he got his start in show business in a really interesting way. He also was working at an insurance company <laughs> when he met actress Mildred Holland, who offered him 12 bucks a week to work as a stock player in her touring show. Wow. So he figured insurance or stock, acting. Yeah, acting. So hmm. he bit, and uh, he ended up making a screen debut in 1926 in a movie called Exit Smiling with Beatrice Lilly. And then he just worked all the time. 
He was in a lot of short subject films by Max Sennett, Hal Roach, Universal. And there's a great short called Wild Poses from 1933, where he is famously terrorized by our gang member, Spanky McFarland, <laughs> as this portrait photographer who's trying to take Spanky's picture. Oh, that sounds adorable. And it's hilarious. Yeah. One of the things I found out about him that I didn't know is that he was a war hero in World War One. Right. He served with the 312th Infantry and was very modest about it, but he was known as a hero in the Battle of Argonne, which That's fascinating. is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, wow, good for him. Our, our, our good patriot. Yep. I think if I had to name my favorite mm. Franklin Pangborn movie, yes. it would have to be The Bank Dick from 1940 with W.C. Fields. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the name. Well, he plays this hoity-toity bank examiner who's aptly named J. Pinkerton Snoopington. Isn't oh, that the perfect name the perfect for him? Name. It's the perfect name. And of course, he is the foil to W.C. Fields. And the two of them together, the great comic chemistry they have is amazing. Yeah. And if you ever get a chance to see that movie, check it out. Because because Pangborn almost walks away with the movie, mm -hmm. and which is no easy feat against W.C. Fields. On a personal note, some of my favorite films of Franklin Pangborn, he's so wonderful in Easy Living from 1937 with Gene Arthur, he plays this hat shop clerk who basically starts the entire misunderstanding that the entire premise of the movie is based on. <laughs> and you have to see the movie to, to know what that is, because I don't want to give too much away. No. But he's so great in that. He's also really wonderful in uh, Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July, 1940 also, with Dick Powell and Ellen Drew. Mm. He plays a radio announcer who's also a big part of the plot. He's also a standout in Hail the Conquering Hero from 1944, where he plays this flustered reception committee chairman that literally steals every moment he's on screen. <laughs> well, he, I think he did that in every film. Every film. Yeah, he really <laughs> he's <did>. flustered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our next actor is someone who has some commonality with a couple of the other folks and how he began. You know, we've had an insurance agent turned yep. actor. Fred Clark attended Stanford with plans to be a doctor but got involved in his school play, changed his major to drama, got a scholarship to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and was named most promising <laughs> actor. It's like, and he ended up playing a number of doctors. From doctor to actor. His yes. parents must have been terrified for a moment. Oh, I bet they were. I bet they were. <laughs> but it all paid off because he became, you know, became one of the most prolific character actors in screen history. I mean, nobody played the blowhard, bombastic boss or testy lawyers or leches, you know, movie producers, usually with a cigar. Nobody yeah. played them better than, than him. Yeah, he this, really is quintessential in, in each of those yes. characters. And when he would get his comeuppance, which he normally did, yes. nobody did a slow burn like Fred Clark. Yeah. Nobody. Yep, he really had that down. Yeah, and he, he's so good in The Jackpot with Jimmy Stewart and, and Barbara Hale. In How to Marry a Millionaire, he plays that lecherous man who lures Betty Grable up to the cabin in Maine. He's bad, bad, uh, he's, bad. You know, he usually played that type of guy, and, and he just did it so wonderfully. I think a lot of people will remember him as Montgomery Cliff's defense attorney in yes. A Place in the Sun, Yes, which was an amazing performance. Yeah, and a real change of pace for him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not playing the comic foil. You know, he's playing a real serious dramatic part, and, and he was really wonderful in, in that. I personally love him, and, yeah, <laughs> and it's a movie that not a lot of people have seen, but he plays this inept private detective 
who's hired by James Garner's mother, who's played by Jesse Royce Landis, who could also be in our podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, she hires him to spy on James Garner and his married friends in this really funny 1962 comedy called Boys Night Out. Wow. And he's just so inept. He's (laughs) (laughs) the worst detective ever. (laughs) You know, you mentioned A Place in the Sun being a little out of the norm of what we think of him as. And I was reading a 1966 interview that he gave with the Kansas City Star that he basically said he had no burning, unfulfilled ambition in his career other than to keep working. But what he really wanted to do was beat his typecasting. He said he wanted to stand on his feet on Broadway in a dramatic part. And he went on to say, he's heard them laugh. He would like to make them cry. Oh, which wow! I don't know that he ever got mm. that opportunity because shortly, I, I think two years later, he passed away. Yeah, but I think he, knowing his background in and how well he did at the academy, I suspect we didn't get to see all that he had to offer. Yeah, I, I think probably not because we all think of him as the comedian. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, that's interesting. I think it's time for our Hollywood pop quiz. So the pop quiz question of the day. It involves another great character actor who's male. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously the character actors, and you mentioned it with Charles Lane, he always gets to appear with a star, Mm -hmm. which imagine the pressure on that. Well, there's one character actor who starred with Greta Garbo, the great, in seven movies, including Grand Hotel from 1932, where he has the iconic line, people come, people go, nothing ever happens. Mm Mm-hmm. Who is he? I think I know this one. (laughs) We'll be back with more character actors and the answer to the quiz after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Stephen, Ed will be right back, but first, another stop on the Hollywood tour. Here's something that seems kind of surprising when you think about it. Early Hollywood didn't have a single studio in it. Hollywood was founded by a man named Horace Wilcox. That was back in 1887. He and his wife, Delia, were prohibitionists. They founded Hollywood. They hoped it would become a religious community. In fact, they even offered free land to anyone who wanted to construct a church in the area. This probably explains why the area was so fraught with various religious groups in the early days. Now back to Stephen Ann from Beneath the Hollywood Sign. We started this episode by my saying that some of these character actors, I just want to take by the cheeks and ooh. (laughs) And this next one is in that category. Oh, he's totally in that category. Guy Kibbe. <laughs> I know, Guy Kibbe. He just had that jovial demeanor, you he know, and, and such great comedy skills. He just made this career out of playing these affable drunks and doting fathers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a bevy of friendly doctors and bartenders and reporters and politicians. politicians <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, he was, he was able to portray all of those characters. And he's another one who did not flourish in films until he was in his 40s. I love I love that he ran away at the age of 
19. <laughs> you know, you always hear about people running away to join the circus. With the he, stick and the yeah, handkerchief. He, he kind of did. He kind of like <laughs> ran away to join the traveling show. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think he appeared on Mississippi gambling riverboats. Right. Yeah. That, which I love that. It's 13-year-old hitting the, the riverboats. Yeah, and learning <laughs> learning his craft. I'm sure he learned a lot. Oh, of course. You know, he was a Texas native, and then, of course, he ran away to the riverboats. And then he ended up on Broadway, which, um, you know, is where he spent most of his career prior to uh, the movies. And he made his screen debut in 1931 in a pre-code drama called Stolen Heaven with Nancy Carroll, hmm. which I've never seen, but it'd be interesting to check that out. And he was in over a hundred films, even though he started later in life. Yeah. I think he started his career at Warner Brothers, and he really established himself there as one of their lead character actors. And he gained notice as the family lawyer in Gold Diggers of 1933, from 1933. And he's also part of Errol Flynn's posse in Captain Blood mm. from 1935, which I think a lot of people will remember him from that. Do you know anything about the Guy Kibbe breakfast? I, I have heard a little bit about it, but, <laughs> but please tell us. Well, I wasn't able to find out what film it's in, but I bet you know which film I it's don't, in. I don't, but I know of the reference. The reference <laughs> is to, he makes in a film, he makes this, he takes a piece of bread and he cuts a hole in the center of it and he fries it and then he drops an egg in the center yes. and flips it over and it's called a guy kibby. I'd love to know what movie that's from. I believe it's from Mary Jane's Pa, 1935. Oh, I love that. You might have to try that over the weekend. <laughs> hey, you know you've made it when you've got a breakfast named after right. you. Right. <laughs> I think we talked about the movie Captain January before yeah. when we were talking about Sarah Hayden last week. He plays the title character of Captain January so beautifully, mm. you know, where he's this salty lighthouse keeper who adopts this orphan whose parents were washed away at sea and then mean old Sarah Hayden tries to take him away from her. It is such a wonderful, comedic, yet heart-wrenching performance. And I think it's one of my favorites of his. And playing the small town newspaper editor. Yes. Father in our town in 1940. I mean, you really, you just can't think of anybody else in that role. Oh, that's right. Martha Scott, I think, was his daughter in that. And William Holden. Yeah, it was Martha Scott. William Holden. I love that. I love that performance. Wow. He's been in so many great movies. He's in Rain in 1932 with Joan Crawford, 42nd Street. And Little Lord Fauntleroy, 1936. Yeah. And he's also, he's great in this screwball comedy called It's a Wonderful World from 1939, where he plays Jimmy Stewart's sidekick in this kind of fun, romantic screwball comedy, which also stars Claudette Colbert. He's great in that. And then he's with Jimmy Stewart again, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington in 1939. Yep. And he's reunited with Shirley Temple a few years later after Captain January in Miss Annie Rooney, where hmm. he plays her grandpa. Wow. Guy Kibbe, born 1882 and passed away in 1956, but always to be remembered. Our last actor is someone who I have admired in front of the camera and behind the microphone. Yes. Sterling Holloway, born in 1905 and passed away in 1992. What a long and fascinating career he had. And what a distinctive actor he mm. was. His voice alone is so distinctive. And I think everybody probably knows him best. He was the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. I, he was this rock star voiceover actor for 
Walt Disney. He does voices in Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland, The Aristocrats, The Jungle Book, Bambi. I mean, he's just as well known for his voiceover work as he is for his time in front of the camera, exactly. which was wonderful and, and very prolific in itself. He's a, a Georgia boy. He was born in Cedartown, Georgia. So I, I love those Georgia uh, boys. Those, those Southern boys. And, yes. you know, I was researching him. So he also left Georgia at a very young age. He was 15 years old. He went to New York City. According to the research I found, he was the youngest student ever admitted to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts at the age of 15 and befriended uh, an actor that I think we've heard of named Spencer Tracy. That's right. You know, Spencer Tracy really loved Sterling Holloway and placed him in a lot of his movies and, and really kind of helped shepherd his career along, which, which I, I love that. Also, like a lot of these actors we've talked about, Holloway started on Broadway. Mm-hmm. He had a prolific career on Broadway before he moved into movies, where he made his screen debut in a silent film in 1927 called Casey at the Bat. What I find so fascinating about his career is, as you mentioned, he was a rock star voiceover person. And as distinctive as his voice was, so was his physical features. He had such a great look. (laughs) He had such a great look. One of the things I saw him in again not too long ago, we've talked about Remember the Night. Yeah. And he's able to play. Yeah. Cousin Willie. (laughs) Very sweet, homespun kind of characters. I know. And he had that great bushy red hair. Mm -hmm. And the eyebrows and obviously the distinctive voice. He just was lovable. He had a sweet face and he, he just had great comic timing. Yeah. I think that's what really made him stand out from other character actors. Yeah, agreed. Uh, he's so good in, in Star Spangled Rhythm. He does this parody of Paulette Goddard, Dorothy Lamore, and Veronica Lake <laughs> in Sweater Sarong and Peekaboo Bang, where they dress up like those great actresses. You know, of course, one wearing a sarong, one wearing the Veronica Lake bang, and it's so genius. And he does that with Arthur Treacher and Walter Catlett. So that's, I think you can YouTube that. I bet you can. Check that out. It's really, really funny. Yeah. You know, as a voiceover talent, what strikes me so much when you listen to his work, not knowing that he's also a a wonderful actor on screen. Yes. He is so specific, and yet he doesn't push. Yes. You can tell he's completely in the story. There's a gentleness, but he can also be that, you know, snake in Jungle Book. I mean, yes. he, he really, it's it's rare to find an actor that can master both sides of this, in behind the microphone as well as in front of the camera. And he really did that brilliantly. Yeah, it's such an art form, and, and he mastered that. I think for me, some of my favorite films of his, is. He's so good in Life Begins at 40, which was a Will Rogers comedy. Mm. The Bluebird, which was that kind of bizarre Shirley Temple movie that's sort of a fable parody where her cat and dog turn into real life people. And he, oh. he plays a character called Wild Plum. But he's also <laughs> great in Cheers for Miss Bishop, also starring Martha Scott. And it's this very sentimental story about this teacher who's reflecting back on her life and her career and the impact she had on her students. And mm. he plays one of his students. He's just that wonderful, lovable kind of guy that you kind of wish were your big brother. Exactly. Yep. And you you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah. You know, he was also in a lot of Gene Autry westerns. He was sort of the sidekick. Yeah. Yeah, which was really fun, like in the 40s, I Mm -hmm. believe. Well, Sterling Holloway, the man with the magic voice. Yes. I think it's time for our Hollywood pop quiz, Steve. Yes, and the question of the day involves an actor who appears with Greta Garbo in seven movies, including Grand Hotel, where he says the famous line, 
people come, people go, nothing ever happens. And that is Lewis Stone. Yes. Who, of course, played Judge Hardy in all the Andy Hardy movies. And who is another wonderful character actor that we did not get time to talk about. But you can read about him on the blog. As well as Donald Meek. Yes. You can read about on the blog. Jack Albertson and Harry Morgan. Harry Morgan. We've got some other great ones you should check out on the blog, which you can find at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. And we would love it if you would follow us on social media. Our handle is at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube. And as always, we'd love to hear from you with any thoughts, ideas, please email us at info at fombeneththehollywoodsign.com. That's this week's view. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve Kubine and Nan McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive review. And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. The executive producers are Steve Kubine and Nan McNamara. Executive producer and post-production supervisor, Lindsay Schneider. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. Copyright 2024. All rights reserved. That's a wrap. Thank you.